Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a New Year's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Jared Pruder, alongside Corey Geiger. Corey, it was like Groundhog's Day again in the Outback Bowl. Same story, different game. What did you make of Penn State's performance on New Year's Day? Yeah, 24-10 loss. I expected Penn State to lose I I think if you looked at this game realistically going in you had to think Penn State was going to lose without five defensive starters opting out and then you have Tariq Castro Fields now that's you're you're missing six defensive starters to to think that they were going to win this game going in was you know not overly realistic but the frustrating part and the really hugely disappointing part is they still had a chance to win and the way the defense played in the first half, the defense, which everybody wrote off without Brent Pry, without six starters, kept you in the game. You're leading 10 to seven at the half. And your garbage offense loses the game. That's the issue here, that if you're a Penn State fan and you thought Penn State was going to win this game before the game, you were being silly and naive. But you had every reason to believe Penn State could win the game at halftime if only your offense with your third-year starting quarterback and your $2 million offensive coordinator. And, yeah, they were playing without Jahan Dotson, Jared, but you still got good players over there, and they get shut out in the second half. Just an extremely I – I wouldn't have called a loss an extremely disappointing loss if I knew beforehand. But the way the game played out made it an extremely disappointing loss. Right. And that's the thing. They played well in the first half. The offense did okay. Clifford hit Keandre Lambert-Smith on a nice pass. Parker Washington stepped up admirably as the wide receiver number one uh, and looks to, to fill those shoes left by Jahan Dotson next year. I thought he played really well. I thought the tight ends were disappointing. The running game was non-existent, but Kevon Lee didn't play a terrible game. They just refused to go to him. And I don't understand that. If you have a running back who's getting downhill, he's got the, and he's making moves. He played a good football game. Kevon Lee did. And I mean, we'll talk about Mike Yersich and, and James Franklin and, and the decisions that they made uh, later in the show, but 
Damn, they had the opportunities. The defense was not the problem today. Smith Vilbert had a great game. Three sacks. You know what's crazy about that stat, Corey? Three stats puts him at second on the team. Yeah. For the season in statistics. The defense was not the problem. Anthony Poindexter, I thought, called a great game. Jair Brown played an incredible game on the back end. Um, the, the defensive backs played well. Jesse Lucetta played well. The defense, again, not the issue. It was the ineptitude of the offense, the ineptitude of Sean Clifford that really held the Penn State program back today. I just really struggle with the Sean Clifford dynamic because as, as a human being and, and as a grown adult, I respect Sean Clifford because he is a team leader. He works hard. He does represent what you want from a Penn State football player. There are a lot of reasons to be proud of who Sean Clifford is as a, as a person. And, and you can't always necessarily say that about you know, all athletes, but Sean Clifford does a lot of good things. And so he is a college kid. But at the same time, we're at, a, we're at a position right now, Jared, where college sports are professional sports. Really. They really are professional sports. And he's getting paid name, image, likeness money. And so I, I, I think the gloves have to come off more now with college athletes than probably ever before. And the bottom line is Sean Clifford is not very good. Okay. Statistically speaking, I've spent a lot of time looking over Sean Clifford's career statistics, NCAA rankings. He's generally the 30th, 40th, 50th best quarterback in college football, depending on the year. This year, he's 64th right, highest rated uh, passing efficiency quarterback, college football, 64th. The statistics will tell you that he's not really anything more than an average college quarterback. And yet he's been given basically a lifetime contract as Penn State starting quarterback. Next year, when he comes back, he'll be 24 years old, and he's basically guaranteed to be your starting quarterback despite the fact that he's 11 and 10 over the past two years, he is average at best below average too often. He was well below average in this game. We'll get to the bad interception here in a second, but I just don't understand this notion that your Penn state and three years ago, your coach told you he was going to make you an elite program. And you've basically given a guy who's 11 and 10 over the last two years, you've basically said, you can be your our starting quarterback as long as you want to be here. Ohio State would never in a billion years do that. Alabama would never do that. No high-quality football program in this country would still be starting Sean Clifford as their quarterback going into year four, given the production that he's had. Yeah, I mean, James Franklin is fiercely loyal to a fault both with his staff, both with his players. There are a lot of players um, that I thought shouldn't have seen the field because there are players behind him that are better. Jake Pinnegar is one of them. Uh, the play of Clifford was, uh, uh, as always, um, but it, it's one of those situations where Jake Pinnegar comes out, kicks a kicks field goal on the first drive. That ball is nowhere close to the, to the upright. That's the first field goal he attempted all season. Why now in the in what should be or I guess could be deemed to be the biggest game of the year to date? 
that's what I don't understand. I mean, stuff like that is just what irritates, what should irritate Penn State fans because, listen, Jake Penninger has done some great things over the course of his career for Penn State. Jordan Stout played well enough as a field, as the place kicker, as the field goal kicker, as the punter to warrant the opportunity to kick field goals today. And he did kick, or they almost kicked a deep one um, later in the game. But, but man, just some of those decisions, that loyalty, I don't like Sean Clifford as a starting quarterback in 2022 because I think Christian Veyu or Drew Aller can be better. Let's go back to the game and Clifford, I thought this drive really epitomized his career, good and bad. Uh, you're down 24-10. He makes a couple of nice runs, moving the sticks, you know, shows a lot of, you know, heart. And, and he's a tough guy. He took hits all day. Sean Clifford can do some good things both in the air and with his feet. He's a, he's a good runner. So he puts Penn, Penn State in position to score. All right. And it's, it's a good drive for Sean Clifford, and, and he's he's playing well, and you're thinking, okay, Sean Clifford does this. He can be a good quarterback. You get to first and goal at the 10. He avoids pressure, and I don't know what the hell happened. I, I mean, I a play that you that looked like a first-year starting quarterback who had, who had barely ever taken a snap, he comes up with a play. It's first and goal at the 10. He throws into double coverage. Theo Johnson's not open in the back right of the end zone. He's not open. Uh, there's two guys there. Clifford, instead of throwing the ball deep out of, you know, kind of close to out of bounds and where only Theo Johnson can catch, he throws it short by two yards. So the up defensive back intercepts it. Ball game over. And, you know, it's, it was just the kind of play and the kind of series and sequence that you just look at and you think, okay, Sean Clifford can do some good things for this program but Sean Clifford is going to crush your spirit and step on your heart with those kinds of mistakes. And again, he's coming back for year four. I've, I'm already on record saying that the two sides should have split ways. If Sean wants to play college football, let him go somewhere else. Say, great job, young man. Thank you for your loyalty. But that's not what Penn State wants. Penn State doesn't want – James Franklin does not want the best quarterback that he can possibly find to be the quarterback next year. He doesn't want that. He wants the path of least resistance and a guy who's been around that he knows he can trust to mentor Drew Allard. That's what, that's what this is all about. This is not about trying to find the best quarterback you can get to see if maybe you can go 10-2 and two or 11-1 next year. The next year is about, even though Sean Clifford's the 40th or 50th best quarterback in the country, you're going to give him the start for the 17th consecutive year because he can mentor your young incoming prospect because you trust him as, and, and I just have a problem with that because again, Ohio state would never do that. Never, not ever. Ohio state would send the guy packing and you know, college, college sports is a cutthroat business and Sean Clifford is loyal and has done a lot of good things for Penn state, but are you trying to win games or are you just trying to be loyal to people? You play to win the game, right? Isn't that what the saying always has been? Look at Alabama. They had Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. Jalen Hurts ended up Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I mean, he, he won national championships at Alabama. It's that's football. College football is a business, whether you want to agree with that or not. And we'll talk to that. Talk about more of the business side of it here in the second segment. But 
my issue is that I don't think Sean Clifford gives them the best chance to win the game. Whether that is Drew LR or whether that is Christian Veyu or, or, or Bo Prabula moving forward, my issue is the inconsistency. First year, Penn State had a dominant run game, a competent run game at that, had a good offensive line. They won the Cotton Bowl. They played in Memphis. Penn State football hasn't been the same since. Uh, they won 11 games that year. They lost Ricky Ronnie to Old Dominion, you know, and, and people weren't happy with the offense under Ricky Ronnie. And I would venture to guess that a, a good percentage of Penn State's fans and, and, and supporters would kill to go back to that offense and what they were capable of doing. So that's what makes it tough for me. But then 2020, they start 0-5 and they're awful. You know, this year, 4-0, and then the wheels fall apart. So the inconsistency at the quarterback position is a big-time issue. Yeah, and it's <coughs> frustrating because Clifford can do some good things, and it's, but it's one of those things where, you know, what is it that you're trying to do? What is it that – what is your – oh, we're going to talk Mike Yersich a little bit later on, but uh, – um, for all the good things that Sean Clifford can do, he just makes too many mistakes. And again, I don't feel comfortable necessarily overly criticizing a college kid, but look, this is, this is where we are. I, I just, my default answer is that Sean Clifford is average at best, but this is, this is what Penn State has decided to go with. College football is a, what have you done for me lately? And what has Sean Clifford done for, for Penn State football lately? You know, I mean, it, it is tough to sit here and talk about a kid that's getting you, that, you know, we, we talk about putting your heart and soul into a university, into a program, but the results have to match up. It's just that simple. And for Penn State, that hasn't happened. But we're going to talk a little bit more here in the second segment about what have you done for me lately on a national scale as we talk about bowl games and opting in and opting out here on the We Are podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast with DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Prugar. Corey, the biggest point of contention among fans, the media, the players, the coaches, you name it, it's a big, it's an incredible point of contention. Opting in, opting out of bowl games. We can talk about at length the intricacies of these decisions, but ultimately we, as in you and I, and, and even certain media personalities, can't sit here and say with a straight face what we would do if we were in their shoes, right? We see Chris Olave from Ohio State opt out. We see six players from Penn State opt out, Arnold Ebiketti, 
Jahan Dotson, um, guys like that, Jaquan Brisker, uh, Derek Tangelo, those guys opt out. But let's be real. There are millions and millions of dollars on the table. And then you go out and see something like the Ole Miss situation on Saturday night where Matt Corral gets his, gets his leg rolled up on and he's on crutches for the rest of the game. We can't we I can't sit here and say with a straight face what I would do, but we can sit here and debate it. And and I think the biggest point of emphasis for me right now is that uh, ESPN commentator and personality Kirk Herbstreet, who played the game of football. His son plays the game of football for Ohio State. They both did. Uh, he's on ESPN's college game. day. comes out this morning and says there's no love of football anymore for these kids. Corey, first. What are your thoughts on that statement? And then what are your thoughts really on, on the opt-out process? That's a bunch of bullshit by Kirk Herbstreit. That's, that's ridiculous. That's out-of-touch nonsense. Um, there is life-changing generational money at stake for these people. They love football. These players love football. They're being smart. There are business decisions that have to be made. The one thing in sports, and Desmond Howard agreed with Kirk Herbstreet uh, on, the, on those comments. One thing in sports that I, I really struggle with is the old timer of back when I played. Back when I played, we did it this way. Back when I played, it was that way. My least favorite baseball announcer was Joe Morgan. Ten times a game, he would tell stories of back when he played 30 years earlier. My least favorite football announcer is Phil Sims. Back when I played a different game altogether, you got to understand the game the way it currently is. You got to understand finances the way it currently is. Kirk Herbstreit makes millions of dollars, millions of dollars as a broadcaster. For Kirk Herbstreit to criticize a young man, who may or may come from any kind of walk of life. Maybe some college players have tons of money in their life, in their, in their personal lives. A lot of them don't. To criticize a player and question his love of the sport because that person is doing what he can to maybe protect his body, which is worth millions of dollars, that's bullshit by Kirk Herbstreit. It's absurd, okay? And maybe that was how it used to be when Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard played. The game has changed. The money is different. We know more now about football and bodily injuries and things than when Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard played. We know how much money there is to lose if, if you get hurt badly. The Matt Corral situation Saturday for Ole Miss, the quarterback, really sad, really unfortunate. I hope he's okay. I, I mean, you're talking one of the first quarterbacks projected for the draft. Hopefully that can still be the case, but you never know. If, if, if him playing in that bowl game costs him millions of dollars, you know, hopefully Matt Corral can bounce back from it and, or whatever and have a career in something else and make money. Uh, but a lot of players can't necessarily do that. And so I, I just – I maybe five years ago when I first heard of Christian McCaffrey from Sanford uh, opting out, he and Leonard Fournette were really the first two to kind of do this. I was probably critical of those guys. Now – totally understandable totally acceptable i'm to the point now if you're a high draft pick 
and you have an opportunity to go to a bowl and to, to, to go into the draft uh, and make money. I don't know that any of these guys should be playing in any of these bowl games. Kenny Pickett, Kenneth Walker, Jahan Dodson, Jaquan Brisker. Hey, you do you. You protect your life. And for some old man, look, I'm 48 years old, and I'll consider myself an old man. For some old athlete like a Desmond Howard and a Kirk Herbstreet who played generations ago to say that these guys don't love the game, absolute bullshit, Jared. Yeah, I, I, I personally agree. Um, I'm gonna, I, I can't sit here and say that I agree with either of their statements um, because it's, it's – listen, it's a business. These guys are brands. These guys are brand names now. They, we have the name image likeness deal, which I think, you know, Clifford brought up, I think, a good point about how bowl games can potentially pay athletes moving forward, which I don't think is a necessarily bad idea to get the premier athletes to play. But, but this is so out of touch and tone deaf because there are multi-millions of dollars at stake for these high-priced athletes. For Jahan Dotson to go out and risk blowing out a knee, blowing out an Achilles or what have you, that's multi-millions of dollars at stake Matt Matt Corral listen I'm not ever going to condemn a player for not playing because they're in a position that I'm not fortunate enough to be in they listen this is like you said it's generational money this could set their families up for generations to come that's what is the beauty of this but but to sit here as, as a grown man now Corey you're 48 grown man grown men usually happen at 40 like Mike Gundy. Um, <laughs> I'm and, a man. That's right. He's 40. I'm 31. I'm maybe not a man yet. I'm still a young boy, young child, if you will. But I can't sit here as a, as a grown adult and say, hey, listen, this is, they need to play. Yeah, they need to play. Listen, I would love to see Jahan Dodson suited up one more time. I would love to see Jaquan Brisker suited up one more time. But the fact of the matter is, my opinion doesn't matter. It, it is so irrelevant. But there, it is a business decision. Now, when Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard played, Desmond Howard sat out of rookie camp because of a contract issue. So him coming out and saying, oh, there's no love for the program or any of that is complete and utter bullshit too. And that's the thing, man. Like, hey, one of those <laughs> – do you. If you want to if you want to opt out and you don't want to play, that's fine. Kenny Pickett was – a. You know, I thought it was very admirable what he did. He was in the booth, and, and he didn't stand with the team. It was about the team, not Kenny Pickett. I thought that was very admirable as a leader, as, as one of the best players to ever play at Pitt. It's the we, not me, and, and I thought that was great. You know, you see these players all around. McCaffrey and Fournette started it. Now it's completely – that was just years ago. Now it's a completely different game. So to, for Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard to come out and say, hey, yeah, uh, do this, do that. They don't love the game. Yeah, they love the game. They love it so much that they want to make a million millions of dollars playing the game. They don't want to risk their body for it. I can't can I can't blame them for that. That's their prerogative. But to sit here as a grown ass adult when you don't know what they're saying, what they're going through, what their family has been through, I it's not fair to the situation. So go out if you want to play, play. If not, you know, if you go out and play and you improve your draft stock. Great, but if you go I, out I, and, and you play in your Matt Corral and, and you get hurt, it's unfortunate, but you can't blame him for going out and playing and grinding one more time. It's not fair to the players to have an opinion either way. I think it just goes to show how quickly things have changed on this, Jared. And really, 
let's take a step. I mean, again, it was five years ago that with, with Christian McCaffrey. Saquon, Saquon played four years ago in the Fiesta Bowl. You think he would play today? I, I, first of all, I would hope absolutely not. And I, my guess would be absolutely not. But that's how quickly things have changed. And so who – look, I will make a societal say, you know, who typically has the toughest time changing their ways and, and understanding that the, the things do change pretty rapidly? Who typically has a tough time in this country with that? Older people. Old, older people. And the older you get, you try not to be that grown man yelling at clouds, you know, as the old man yelling at clouds like the Simpsons thing. Get off you my lawn. Yeah, get off my lawn, Kirk Street. That's my ball. Go away, kids. But, hey, you better be willing to change. And we're at the tip of the iceberg here. Give it another 10 years. Oh, by the way, let me throw this out from a business standpoint. ESPN has the rights to most of these bowl games. Who do these people work for? They, they want to see the best kids play because it's best for them. I mean, I, 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 I don't know that that's why they're making some of these statements. I would hope not. But it does need to be said. Who stands to profit if all the stars play in the bowl games? ESPN. This is the tip of the iceberg. Let's give this 10 or 15 years. These guys aren't going to be playing in bowl games at that point. Mass numbers of them. Well, I was thinking about all the ESPN bowl games. They played them all. There weren't any issues. They found a team immediately. There's money there. It's a business decision for them, too. It's a business decision Listen, hey, hey, kudos to those guys because I'm sure somebody was in their ear at ESPN and said, hey, listen, we need you guys to say this because it's going to drum up that conversation of players playing in the bowl games. But I want to circle back to what I said about Clifford and, and playing in these bowl games. If you want, honestly, now that you have this name, image, likeness deal, pay them to play in the game. Here's my, here's my idea. I, I don't want to act like I'm stealing somebody else's idea. Maybe somebody else out there has mentioned it. I think that bowl games should pay the insurance premiums for these guys for loss of acti- activity uh, insurance policies. All right. So if you want to go out and get a $5 million policy for this one game, you, you, the, 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 bowl game, the bowl game can pay every player five, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Okay. And you can take your $10,000 and that's it. Or you can put, or we'll pay for your insurance policy uh, for one, two, three, five million dollars. We'll pay for your, and you see what I'm getting at? That might be in it. Because just paying, paying Jahan Dotson $10,000 to play in a bowl game, that's, that's chump change. Mm-hmm. Because again, talking millions. But you pay Jahan Dotson $10,000 that will go to a $5 million loss of activity policy. Now we're talking about something that that maybe could could be a real enticement there. No, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, listen, if you want to make it worth it for the players, Benjamins have to be on the board. Money has to be on the on the board here. Um, and if it's not, then you're doing yourself a disservice. There is money to be had. ESPN is not hurting for money. Hey, listen, if ESPN wants to, you know, if they want to focus on the love of the game, well, then the national championship coming up, that should be commercial free. No commercials. If you seriously, if you want to play for the love of the game, well, then they shouldn't promote it. They should just play it. We get to watch it, and and bada bing, bada boom. No, you know? instead they'll have they'll have eight different bot broadcasts. We're gonna see Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett. We're gonna see Disney Plus, the Hulu bundle. 
everything 10 to 15 times per commercial because merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> Seriously, if you want to, if you want to talk about the love of the game, put your money where your mouth is ESPN. If you guys want, well, ESPN loves the game, but they also love making a shit ton of money from it. So, and, and that is, that is what we're getting at here. And to, to, to make a statement that these guys don't love the game when they're making business decisions is just really pretty absurd. Right. Everybody does it for free. Everybody does it out of their own free will. Hey, if that's, if, if they want, if you want to promote the love of the game, that's what ESPN should do. They're not going to do it, but let's get into the love of, oh, let's say critiquing coaching decisions here in the third and final segment of the We Are podcast when we come back on this break of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. As always, he's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Frugar. Now that I have kind of tempered myself from talking about ESPN and the um, commercialism that is college football now and all 17 broadcasts that we'll watch um, for the national championship and, and that we'll watch tomorrow when we get two options for Monday Night Football, we get to watch the Manning cast and we get to watch the regular game with the regular announcers. You know, because why? who doesn't love more money? There were some coaching decisions made Saturday for Penn State and really the entire season that you just kind of look yourself in the, in the mirror and it's a question look. You scratch your head, you scratch your body, and you just go, what the did I just watch? You know what, Jared? Um, I thought the Mike Yersich hiring was going to be phenomenal for Penn State I I love offense I fell in love with his track record and the numbers and and I I bought into the notion that Mike Yersich was going to come in and be some kind of miracle worker Uh, I believe Mike Yersich should be fired honestly and I don't I don't throw that out there these are jobs these are people's lives I think if Mike Yersich were in just about any other situation uh, you would have a legitimate opportunity possibility that he could be fired (laughs) He, he, he will not be fired because he is the link to Drew Alar, and you can't fire Mike Yersich because then you might risk losing the number one quarterback recruit in the country. But I thought Mike Yersich this year did an absolutely terrible job, and I thought in the bowl game it was just awful. Uh, against Michigan State, a team that you can throw on at will, he's running the ball all over the place. Against Arkansas, when, you know, Penn State's running game has not worked all year. It hasn't. But you know what? They were actually doing okay. Kevon Lee, Noah Kane, they were breaking off some longer runs. I think Lee had a 25-yard run. Kane had a 16-yard run. What did they do, Jerry? They abandoned it. Just go away from it completely. Um, And and so I just don't – I don't know what Mike Yurst is just trying to do. I don't don't know what his game plan is. Arkansas's game plan – to start the third quarter was, hey, they can't stop the run. We're going to run it down their throats. Mike Yersich is just – he's just all over the place. And you've got Sean Clifford running option plays, not once but twice, including once to the short side of the field, and he gets killed on a hit. I just, I just don't – we can criticize Sean Clifford, bad interception, bad decisions. 
but I don't, I just don't know what, what is Penn State's identity with what it's even trying to accomplish on some plays? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a very, very good question. Um, the thing, the thing that strikes me is Kevon Lee's produced 51 total yards in his first five touches. Then it was two, uh, nearly two full quarters until his next touch. That's the inconsistency offensively with the running backs. You can't run a running back by committee. You just can't do it. They had Noah Kane, they had Devin Ford, they had Kevon Lee in there. You can't do that. You have to get some momentum in the run game, and you can't abandon it. That's just ridiculous to me. You go one or two, and if you need a third down back, you go to him. But you can't you can't alternate series like that when Kevon Lee has shown multiple times that they do it. Listen, the offensive line I didn't think was that bad today. Um, and, and the offensive line is, you know, the running game has not been too terrible to an extent. I mean, they've run for a bunch of yards. They didn't have a hundred yard rusher, but listen. Today it was okay. They've been yeah. terrible here, but today. Right. Today was okay. You at least did enough to maybe make you think. And, and Sean Clifford went off. He, he got a lot of yards rushing on scrambles because he is a good runner, but you were at least doing enough with your running backs to just not abandon it. Yeah. I mean, you can't abandon, you can't abandon the run game because it opens up the passing game. The passing game opens up the running game. But when the running game isn't a threat, why even bother? You might as well just go empty set the entire time. But stuff like that is really what irks me. I understand that as a first-year coordinator, this is the millionth offense for Penn State in the last five years. I get that. I understand that. As a coach that's tried to install different offenses, we went from a spread – um, RPO offense to up high tempo to a veer option offense. That's not easy to do at the high school level. So I, I understand how hard it might be to do that at the collegiate level. While those might not be the same in comparison, it's not easy to do that. So my thing is, listen, man, I understand year one, you're going to take your lumps, but Penn State football is better than offensively than what they did. Penn State's offense should have been fine today. They're missing Jahan Dotson. And who else were they missing on offense, Corey? Because they were only down two starters. Yeah, uh, uh, left, left tackle. Uh, Rasheed Walker. Rasheed Walker was out. And, and you had everybody else. And Parker Washington is a good receiver. And, you, <laughs> and Britton, Strange, Britton Strange sat out the second half. He was in street clothes. I'm not sure exactly what the inj- injury was there. But still, you, you scored 10 points. You scored, And you only had one play. I, I, I wrote it in my column. Uh, in Major League, Bob Euchre says, one hit, one GD hit. <laughs> well, today, Penn State had one play, one GD play. They had the long touchdown to, to Lambert Smith on the break on the breakdown in defensive coverage by the, by the Razorbacks. At, other than that, Penn State's offense really basically did nothing. Right. You're just kind of sitting there poking it with a stick. And there were too many games where that happened. That can't happen in the Big Ten when, when one play – and they weren't in – they were in every game. It wasn't as if they were out of out of games that they played. So that's, I think, one of the more uh, frustrating things uh, when you look at when you look at the, the the big time body of work. They were in every single game, every game, and yet came up on the short end more often than not. Because guess what? They lost by three to to Michigan State. They lost by four to Michigan by 
nine to Ohio State by two to Illinois in the worst game in the world, three to Iowa. Like every game except for today or except for Saturday was by single digits. They got smoked by an Arkansas team riding the coattails of the Daly families uh, upending of the Woods family on the golf circuit in the PNC championship just last week. But uh, the offense, listen, they need to have a come to Jesus meeting and come to Jesus kind of spring and hope for the best. I don't know if Sean Clifford's the answer. I really don't think that he is. I don't know if that's Christian Bayou or, or Alar or, or whoever, but man, the offense has got to figure itself out and figure itself out quick because next year, the schedule doesn't get any better, especially to start. Well, this is where I'll close with the James Franklin discussion uh, because, look, I may have made no secret about it. I did not like giving James Franklin a 10-year contract. He is 11 and 11 over the past two years. What's the rush so fine, USC and LSU were interested in him. Let him go. I, I, they, they were so hell-bent on protecting this recruiting class and fearing change. And I've said this repeatedly, that I think they ended up bidding against themselves for a coach that I don't really think anybody else wanted. And not only did they give him a 10-year contract, they gave him every advantage in that contract with the buyout stuff. I, I thought that was just such a foolish, foolish decision from Penn State's perspective for a coach who, again, has done really good things, but this program is trending in the wrong direction. Last year, you, you start off number seven in the country and you go 0 and 5. This year, you get to number four and then you lose six of your next eight games. James Franklin is not a good game coach. He is just not. For all the things he does well, recruiting, uh, player motivation, relationships with, with players, he, he is just not the guy you want making uh, all these decisions within tough games. So, yeah, Penn State is close. Close doesn't count except horseshoes and hand grenades, for, for those who remember that saying as a kid. Penn State is a mediocre program right now. When they barely lost to Ohio State in 2018, he, he said he promised they would go from great to elite. They are further removed from elite right now than they have been since 49 to 10 against Michigan in 2016. That's how far away they are. The program has gone backwards these past two years. And I'll go on record. I'll have a column here, uh, DK. I'm picking them to go seven and five next year. Um, because again, the schedule is brutal. Purdue, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan in the first six weeks. So uh, I, I just – I look at James Franklin. I look at that 10-year contract, Jared. I, I just cannot wrap my head around why they decided to do that. It's tough because there's a lot of complacency that can happen because he gets comfortable, right? As a coach, you're coaching for your life every single game, every single practice, because if you don't get the job done, they're going to find somebody that can do it better. So there's a lot of complacency that happens. Do I think James Franklin is a great role model, great leader for the university? I absolutely do. Do I think that he's a great game coach? No. You mentioned the, the, the early schedule. They start at Purdue. Then they are home against Ohio. They're at Auburn. Not an easy place to play. They play a directional Michigan. 
uh, for uh, Central or they host Central Michigan. Then it's Ohio State, Michigan, and Illinois. Well, those are three losses from this year. Um, oh, and, and Michigan State. So there are four of your losses right off the bat. Um, and that's the bulk of the of the um, of the Big Ten season. They got us. They the the game day decisions have to get better. There is just no excuse right now for that to happen. It's got to get better. If you're going to pay James Franklin this type of money, it needs to get better, and he needs to get better this year because you're right. They could very easily go seven and five. I'm looking at that. Um, they could lose to Purdue. I think they lose to Auburn um, at Auburn. I mean, they lose to Ohio State. Very good chance that they're at the big house, which has been a house of fours. Um, that could be a loss. Michigan State could be a loss. Mel Tucker's got that team really on the right track. Um, yeah, I mean, it, they could they could go easily eight and four, seven and five, and and it wouldn't be a shock to me. So James Franklin's got to get better. Um, the off the field stuff is great, but that game day stuff, that game day management. That's where games are won and lost. We see so many times. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Friday night, I watched um, her, uh, Kirby Smart coach uh, Georgia and Michigan. I watched that game. I watched at the end of the first half. Stetson Bennett, uh, the Georgia quarterback. They had a two-minute drill. I, I, I can't remember this in, in complete the complete situation, but they had a timeout or two. Um, the clock was running. And you could just see Kirby Smart getting visibly upset on the sideline. That's the stuff that I love to see from coaches. They, he got on Bennett hard. He rode him right into the locker room because he didn't get the job done. And, he did, and there was no sense of urgency. The clock management, we can sit here and analyze clock management. And so many people choose to do that. But the clock management, man, it's so, it's so intriguing because it changes game to game, situation to situation. Georgia could have easily marched the ball down the field, scored one up even more at, at the half, but they just kind of sat on the ball. And that's not necessarily what I didn't think um, what Kirby Starr was doing is on the broadcast, you could see him mouth, what the, are we doing? And that's, that's what was fascinating to me. That's what earned me a lot of respect for, uh, for Kirby Smart moving forward. And that's why they're playing in the big or in the national championship um, against, um, against, the uh against alabama but that's why we get paid to podcast that's why we get paid to write so for now we're going to go into the off season into spring ball on a high note for Corey geiger this has been jared prugar we will talk to you again next week on the we are podcast dk pittsburgh sports podcasting network thank you have a safe and healthy new year we wish you all the best